Welcome to Chowder and Grits. I'm Justin Cochiola alongside Tim Hurth. Tim, what's going on? Busy weekend? Yeah, a busy weekend. You know, we uh, we had the kid and took her to go see Santa Claus at the Bass Pro Shops. Uh, oh, outstanding. And so I got a lot of time to walk around, look at fish. Found out there's a whole aisle of uh, Bass Pro Shops dedicated to seasonings and make your own beef jerky. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. Had a good time and uh, yeah, just got done minivan shopping today. So uh, I'm in a great mood to podcast. Um, <laughs> I'm going to need you to rewind. <laughs> Did you say uh, minivan shopping? Minivan shopping. Yeah. The wife came up to me uh, about a week ago. She said, you know, I could really use a minivan. And I slowly swallowed the food that I was eating at the time and realized that this is the point I'm at in my life. So instead of fighting it, I'm going to own it and we'll figure out whether or not a minivan is in our future. But I am leaning towards it's probably happening. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but good luck. Well, welcome to your 30s, Justin. Uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm in my 30s. <laughs> You're holding uh, out strong. Yeah. Oof, man. I, I mean, hey, listen, they are functional vehicles. Right. I uh, I've driven them quite a few times actually as <laughs> rental cars sure. um, because they're the last on the lot um so hey good luck and uh good luck that's all i have to say about that we also saw santa claus uh um, perfect went to the some mall in chicago and uh we both forgot our wallets so Ooh. we essentially had to beg the people to pay online, which in 2018, I don't think that's too much of an ask, but it was a little <laughs> bit more complicated than you might imagine. What? Um, so, but we got it taken care of and uh, yeah, we had a lot of tears, but other than that, you know, it was a good time. You, had to, you have to pay to see the Santa Claus in Chicago. Oh, oh, well, you didn't have to pay, but you had to pay to get photos because they, oh, uh, yeah. They don't let you take your own. So mm. it was 50, 50 bucks for six of the same photo, basically. See, the the Bass Pro Shops is fantastic about it. I mean, they let you go up there with your cell phone, take as many pictures as you want. Um, as I said, that Cam Newton just threw another interception. So uh, let's do this thing, man. Woo! Yeah, great. so uh Scam Newton, not a great quarterback, but let's talk about some <laughs> of the uh some of the happenings happenings in the ACC. So, um I figured we would start with coaching, which is pretty much all the news yeah. I have right now. Um but contract extensions have been um you know, we didn't really focus too much on what was going on last week. We just focused on bowls, but Dino Babers signed a long-term extension, details of which were not disclosed, but I mean, I think that was a no-brainer for Syracuse, right? Oh, yeah. yeah what, a, what a great extension for them. And, um, yeah, I saw the quote on that. I think it was something like well into the future or something they cited. So it's probably a five- to six-year deal. Um, man, they, they have a great coach for their program. You know, he's not he's not some guy that I think the big programs are going to be burning up his phone line. I think he's somebody there that could stay. Um, and he, he's a great niche He's not even a niche coach. I think that sounds like it's selling him short, but he runs a great system for the level of recruiting that Syracuse has, for the level of playmaker that they're going to have that's really going to maximize that team. So I think it's a fantastic job by the administration there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with Dino and Syracuse going forward because I think there's 
expectations around the team now. We know what they can be under him, but they will have quite a few holes to fill up next year. Most important one being Eric Dungy at quarterback. So yeah. I'm sure they've recruited fairly well, but it's always tough to lose a leader like that. And then especially when, you know, you're playing in the Atlantic side of the ACC, you've always got Clemson um, that, sh- that you have to deal with once a year. So I think it's looking up for that program for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I mean, they're turning the Carrier Dome back into something to be feared. Um, you know, it was even when they were bad, it was never comfortable playing there because it's just such a stark contrast to any other football stadium going, you know, in college right now. And it can get loud. And even when it's empty, it, it somehow feels awkward to play there. Um, but, you know, d- defending their home fortress has been a good thing. And you see all the halftime talks and the pregame talks from Dino. And it's just it's hard to imagine a world in which someone doesn't like that guy. Um, you know, I, I, th- I think that goes a long way. And, um, you know, I-, I think they're set up perfectly for success moving forward. So, um, yeah, fun times, fun times in Syracuse. Yeah, I've always felt like the Carrier Dome has a underrated home field advantage because it's like 95 degrees in there every day. Oh, yeah. So. And and that is why it is one of my favorite stadiums. It's almost like they know it's a sweltering hellhole in there. So they gave it the most ironic sponsor they could ever give it. Yeah. The carrier. carrier. Manufacturers of air conditioning. Welcome to 90 degrees and 100% humidity. So Boston College, uh, one of their neighbors up north, uh, also extended their coach, Steve Adazio, uh, to a two-year deal. He had one year left on his contract. Not exactly a ringing endorsement from the AD Martin Germond, who said, quotes, while all of us wish our regular season in football it had ended with more victories, we took important steps in the right direction this year. And he listed off things such as being ranked in the national rankings, college game day, running for the conference championship. So I don't know how you feel on this, but that says to me, Steve, you got one more year. Uh, let's get over that seven and five, seven and six hump. And Let's go win a conference uh, conference championship. Yeah, I mean, it's really kind of um, throwing the gauntlet down as far as that goes. Uh, you know, nice of them to offer a two-year contract, and this is definitely a one-year show-me-what-you-got kind of deal. It's got to be clear to Steve. I think it's clear to everyone in this case. Um, I just don't see it happening. I don't see BC breaking through with Steve or with anyone at this point. Um, man, you, you know, you see. You see Chestnut Hill on game days, and it, it's, it's, it seems like it's at least 60% empty. Um, there's a lot of apathy set in towards that program. Uh, I just don't see Adazio changing it. And, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. I, I, I do think, you know, Boston College being good obviously helps the ACC. And they're another one of those teams that I think took advantage of a pretty weak schedule this year. It's not going to get easier. And if this was, if you were going to break through, this was going to be your year when FSU was down. Louisville was down. Um, I don't have who they played cross ACC in front of me right now, but I guarantee you they weren't very impressive um, given how bad that side of the conference was. So, you know, it's just a shame to see it like that. Interesting that the AD chose to give him another year. Um, but I, I don't think if you're Boston College, you could have survived the image of firing Adazio after what he did this year. He did get the team ranked. He did have them competitive uh, towards the conference championship. Um, and firing him after this year may have looked bad to other coaches saying, well, you know, if I 
if I end up ranked, I, I, there's still a chance I could get fired at the end of the year. But still, it is definitely put up or shut up time and um, not too hopeful for him moving forward. Yeah, you know, Boston College is is uh, an odd place as far as coaching success, success goes. And I kind of went back and looked and, you know, what is what is Boston College supposed to be? So if you look back to the mid-90s, they had a betting scandal at the university where 13 players were kicked off the team, never played again. And then the coach resigned. And then in 96, that's when Tom O'Brien took over. Okay. Right. And under O'Brien, they won at least eight games five times. They won nine games in his last three seasons there as head coach. And he really set that program up for what you thought was success. And when he left, it was a little bit of a surprise just because of where he had brought that program. I mean, going to NC right. State was kind of a no-brainer for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it didn't really work out for him at NC State either. But they weren't exactly in the best spot when he when he took over and he left there kind of abruptly. Um, so you know, with Tom O'Brien him leaving, and then you had the whole Jeff Jagodzinski situation in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and I mean that that was a team with Matt Ryan. They their biggest rival at the time was Virginia Tech. Uh, there's a game that I will not discuss ever on this podcast unless <laughs> I am paid I. a lot of money. Uh, but Boston College won that game in the regular season, but they lost each of those seasons in the conference championship to Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. And then Jack Kaczynski was fired in 2008 because he interviewed with the Jets. Uh, <laughs> so that was kind of a weird time at Boston College. Yeah. And then Frank Spaziani took over and he got fired after a four and eight season in 2012. And then in came. Uh, Steve Adazio. So there, there was school who they're a program that has been good. They right. have never been terrible. They've had some bad years in there and they can definitely compete with any team on any given Saturday. But the whole consistency thing has, has never, has never been there for this program. And I'm starting to wonder, it's like, you know, you mentioned that Chestnut Hill doesn't draw a huge crowd, but Right. It's a small university. I compare it to kind of a Wake Forest where smaller alumni bases, but, you know, close to that Massachusetts area. If they're good, people are close to Boston, I mean. So if you're good, people are going to to come to the games, I feel like. Sure. Sure. Um, I mean, the population is there, right? But yeah. um, being the pro sports town that it is, uh, infamously, uh, I think they can be very cynical at times, too. So. Um, if the excitement isn't there, if the uh, winning record maybe isn't there, they may not show up. And I think that's something that's going to take multiple years of eight win, roughly eight to nine win seasons to kind of drum up that excitement again. Um, because there was a time where they were putting many more butts in the seats than they are now. Um, yeah, I mean, I what a what a weird situation Boston College has found itself in uh, since O'Brien. Uh, you know, if we were kind of projecting where that program would be, I don't think we would have it mired in the level of mediocrity it finds itself in at the moment. I do think it's a program, though, that can win. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure if it can win. You know, I'm not really putting it on the same level as a Virginia Tech. Definitely not a Clemson. And Virginia Tech's not a Clemson. 
but they're somewhere in between a Virginia Tech level program and like a Wake Forest right now. And they're right. trending towards Wake Forest because Wake Forest, nothing against the Demon Deacons, but they're not going to win consistently for extended periods of time there. But yeah. I feel like Boston College, if they win recruiting up north, they should they should be able to hold their own. And I mean, I think O'Brien proved that 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 could be the case. So I think they just need yeah. to find the right guy. I don't think Adazio is that guy, but to me, I would have cut the cut the cord sooner rather than sure. later. I don't I don't get the the point of extending it after he's been there since 2013. So. No, and, and like I said, it could have been an optical thing. I will say this. Adazio gave us the greatest soundbite of all soundbites in the just, greatest coach. Just guys speak. being dudes, baby. Just guys being dudes. What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Golly. I mean, that is the ultimate football guy soundbite. It doesn't get better than that, Justin. That's college football distilled into like a concentrate that you could make other college football flavored drinks with. Incredible. Just a bunch of guys being dudes. What's better than that? Well, my Nothing. favorite my favorite part about it was how awkwardly he was standing <laughs> in the end zone bleachers, and he just looks so uncomfortable. Yeah, I I mean, the, you remember that old Bigfoot film, right? I mean, that Bigfoot looked more comfortable on camera than Adazio does standing there in the end zone. Oh man, with those uh, you know, the, the the polo nicely tucked into those pleated khaki shorts. I tell you what, if he gets fired from Boston College, I I hope Virginia Tech reaches out to him. We got room for a guy that wants to see a bunch of other guys being dudes. Well, I'll say this and I'll say it again and again and again. Scott Leffler is no longer on the team. <laughs> They're in better shape than they were yesterday. They are. Okay. And who knows? The sky may be the limit, you know? All right. Let's move on to North Carolina. And this is a school that has had a very interesting off season as far as the coaching search has been going on. But now it seems like they have finally kind of filled out that coaching staff uh, a little bit backwards, but they got it. It's it's under control now. Uh, the Jay Bateman hire, I like a lot. Um, shout out to Hampton Sydney in Farmville. That's where he got his start <laughs> in coaching uh, back in 97. But he uh, he has led the Black Knights at Army um, to really respectable defenses, and this year, number twelve against the rush, um, and twentieth against the pass. So that's not something that you'd expect to see from a Army led unit, especially just with the uh, the athletes that they typically recruit there, with the you know restrictions that they have. Um, sure. uh, but they've been really good on third down as well. So they rank uh, they've only allowed twenty six point seven percent of first downs on third down. So that's super high. He's been an army for five years. He, uh, he, he's really coached at smaller schools before that. So he doesn't have a lot of power five experience, which is seems to be a theme on this North Carolina coaching staff in certain areas, but I'll let you kind of fill in the blanks there on Jay Bateman. Yeah. Um, I think it's a good hire. Uh, it's a risky hire. It's a it's a good hire in the sense that the guy has done it in a place that playing defense is extremely difficult, given some of the weight restrictions that you're you're faced with, and given some of the other recruiting uh, limitations and and player pool that you have to work with there at Army. Um, 
The part that I'm more concerned about is the style misalignment. He's going into uh, an offensive system that is going to have basically a lot of spread with some air raid principles, um, which is going to lead to some fast possessions, a lot of three and outs. Um, and even when they are scoring, they're not going to be running clock and, and chewing up the time like Army did. Um, defense is going to get gassed. And he's coming into a league where the average offense that he's going to be facing is fairly good. Um, and I think that's one part that the ACC doesn't get the credit it deserves for is the quarterback play and um, the, the dynamic offenses that there are in the conference. Um, you know, everybody gives the Big 12 a lot of shine, but the ACC is doing great in that regard, too. So it'll be interesting to see how Bateman, Bateman is able to make that transition and if that is going to be a struggle with him moving forward. Yeah. The uh, I think one thing that will help him, though, is he'll be going up against Phil Longo's offense in yeah. practice every day. And so Phil Longo, interesting guy, interesting background, um, led two very high-powered offenses at Mississippi the last two years. Um, they had the fifth-best passing offense this year. They, they were only 68th in rushing. Kind of a contradiction about what Mac Brown said that he wanted to see, which was a run-pass-balanced offense. There's right. no doubt about it. Phil is a pass first type of guy. They averaged 37 pass attempts per game. Um, and when he was at Sam Houston State beforehand, they had the number one offense in FCS, um, for two years in a row. So that was led by passing. So we'll see what happens here. Um, he only spent really two years at a power five. He had some really nice players at Mississippi. Those players he is currently probably lacking at this point at North Carolina, so they have to do some work in the recruiting trail. But what was your initial reaction to to Phil? It was interesting. Like you said, it wasn't kind of what I was expecting based on what Mac had said. Um, you know, it's funny you go see uh, message board posts from the opposing team where things like this happen. Um, you know, coordinators get poached. And typically when it comes to the offensive coaches, no team seems to really love their offensive coordinator. Um, given the the amount of scoring and the rankings uh, that Longo did put up, I was thinking, you know, Ole Miss fans probably like him a whole lot. Um, that wasn't the case. It seems like when he plays kind of stiffer defenses, he has a really hard time scoring the ball. Um and ended up just getting absolutely obliterated by Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl at the end of the year, 35-3. to three. Um, Seven points against Bama, 16 against LSU, 16 against Auburn, um, you know, 24 against Texas A&M. Um, and it seems like every other game he was scoring almost 60 to 70 points, I feel like. Um, so that kind of feast or famine offense will be interesting to see how it translates. Um, over to UNC. And, and as you mentioned, playmakers on the perimeter are going to be slightly different between the two schools, at least until recruiting starts picking up. So um, it, it's a good enough shout. I, I think Longo's a, got great potential as a coordinator, um, but we'll have to see, is, is this going to be a case where Longo is free to do what he wants to do, or will he have to kind of tailor what he does to fit Max, uh, at least what he said in the press, is, is wanting a more balanced attack. So that's uh, something to pay attention to. Yeah, and some other guys to fill out the staff there. You've got uh, Lonnie Galloway from Louisville, former uh, co-offensive coordinator there. He is going to be the receivers coach. Uh, he was the guy who coached Lamar Jackson up. Uh, one thing that I found interesting was, I'm sure you're familiar with WakeyLeaks. 
<laughs> yeah, yes, uh, very Lonnie, Lonnie Galloway and Jay Bateman were both suspended and fined for their involvement in Wakey League. Huh. Uh, so that was a interesting little interesting, nugget. uh, interesting nugget there, but, uh, didn't seem like a very, uh, military service thing to do, if you ask me, Jay. No. Yeah, Jay. Yeah. That, that's a demerit for you, sir. But, you know, a school that was called UN Cheat for a while, uh, you know, are we that surprised? For Brandon, a while. Brandon, uh, yeah, maybe still. Brandon Jones, yeah. now offensive line coach. He is from Texas Tech, and uh, he has got some ties to the North Carolina area. He was at ECU for five seasons as their line coach. So interesting yeah. hires to fill it out. Uh, we mentioned previously that Dre Bly is now a, a defensive back coach there, his first time on the job. So yeah. um, a lot of different uh, different characters there for UNC. Yeah, um, a lot of different characters. Dre Bly is going to be one that's <laughs> going to be really interesting uh, to see how he does. Uh, not a lot of experience there, but hey, you got to learn somewhere. Um, you know, I, I thought UNC's offensive line coach, coach in uh, Chris Kapilovich, I thought he was going to stay. Um, I thought he was very good. One thing Fedora always had was a good offensive line, heck of an offensive line recruiter, and he was not retained. He's actually. Uh, got hired by the Colorado Buffaloes. So uh, that's going to be a great pickup for Colorado. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it all uh, gels moving forward. I tell you what, regardless of how it happens, the return of the Mac is going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting and there are going to be people, I think it'll drum up some fan support that they badly need. So um, yeah, I mean, listen, they, you've already seen it on the recruiting trail that they've started landing guys that they didn't necessarily have to begin with. He is a recruiter. He is a very friendly face. Everybody likes him. He's a very likable person. Yeah. His issue at Texas was translating a top five recruiting class to a national championship. And he only right. did it one time. So he's not going to have that pressure in North Carolina. You know, there's a chance he's probably going to be a top 15, top 20 recruiting class guy. Then to, I'd say at least, maybe even better. Um, so yeah. it's definitely something he, to watch. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, he'll have a chance to make some noise in the ACC, especially in the coastal division. It's up for grabs. Sure will. So the last team we'll talk about, uh, news and notes, at least what I have NC State. they have had quite a bit of movement with their, uh, with their coaching staff outside of Doran. So, um, Sure, most of you know uh, Eli Drinkwitz off to App State to be their head coach. Thirty-five-year-old, uh, he's been the offensive coordinator for the last three years, and uh, he's basically the one who kind of developed Ryan Finley. And him and Finley have been tied at the hip for the last three years. Top twenty-five offense this season. You know the Wolfpack have really transform their offense as a whole over the last three years. And a lot of the coaches we'll talk about here coming up have, have a big part of that. So what did you think about the, the hire to app state? Oh, I think app, I mean, they got something. I think that could be really good for them. Uh, this isn't one of those programs that you have to go into and change the culture. There's no real cancer in the clubhouse type situation. These guys seem to get along well together. They play hard. Um, and, and drink is going to give you a guy that's got a great personality. He's young, he's energetic, and he brings a really good offensive scheme with him. 
Um, he's a, a kind of a spread guy, balanced run guy from the kind of Gus Malzahn cut. Um, I think he was a, either a grad assistant or a consultant, um, something along those lines during Auburn's national championship year. Um, he came over to the Wolfpack young, uh, but really, really, I, I think had a, had an offense that improved every year. I think you kind of got an idea of what Eli wanted to do. And it's interesting. I know NC State uh, hired internally for their offensive coordinator position. So they're going to continue to run Eli's offense in that sense. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what Eli is able to do with his offense in the Sun Belt. Um, you know, he comes into a, a program that's won consistently. And I think if you're looking to keep that going, keep the offense exciting and appeal to some recruits, Eli was a, a knockout hire for me. Yeah, so I think he'll do good things at uh, at uh, App State. And to fill his role, you've got uh, Des Kitchens and George McDonald, who are going to be co-offensive coordinators. So that's something that they do on the defensive side of the ball, but I'm not sure how you feel about that offensively. I like it um, from the sense it's not like you're hiring two guys that have never worked together to come in and just share the ball, essentially. Um, Des and George have been working together for a few years. Um, and the good thing is State has had some of the best and most consistent running back and wide receiver play they've had since since I've been alive uh, in the past three years. You had three straight years of a 1,000-yard rusher. You had a 1,000-yard receiver last year, and this year you had two 1,000-yard receivers on NC State. That's ridiculous. Um, Dez is a big-time recruiter. It was important to keep him on the staff. He was the number one recruiter on that staff, uh, keeping him happy, keep him uh, getting promotions. And George McDonald, who has offensive coordinator experience uh, in the ACC with Syracuse, um, had done wonders for the passing game. So the idea of them working together I think is good, especially since – uh, Dave Dorn kind of has a feeling of how those two interact with one another. So I, th I thought that was a great thing because offensively, there's not a whole lot NC State needs to change right now. I'm not a huge fan of the co-offensive coordinator, and I guess maybe it's just the way that it comes off or sounds. I'm okay. sure that I'm sure they have designated roles, um, but to me, you know, there's got to be an alpha in the relationship. Who's calling the plays? And who was the guy answering the questions at the end of the day as to, you know, why they went for or why they threw it on third and one when they mm -hmm. could have run the ball. So to me, that is uh, just something to watch out for. It didn't seem yeah. to bother him on the defensive side of the ball, but I think offense always gets a little bit more tricky and a little yeah. bit more noise from the media. So there's no question. And like you said, the accountability is the big issue there and hopefully they can get it figured out. I imagine one will be responsible for play calling and, and both will probably do the scheming and, and game planning. Um, but we'll see. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll reinvent the way that that's done in a way that I don't see coming. Um, but excited to see how that progresses, especially given, look, if you're going to have to switch coordinators, now's a great year to do it. NC State loses uh, Ryan Finley, who's been a stalwart for them in the quarterback position. You're going to have a four-man quarterback race next year with uh, three, four, four star recruits, um, each of them thinking they're, they're good enough to start. So look, it's a good time to get new blood in there and, uh, see where it takes you. Anything else you want to hit on in the ACC? Yeah, just one more thing. And this broke today. Uh, Kurt Roper got named as NC State's quarterback coach, which was previously, uh, Eli Drinkwitz position. Um, Eli did fantastic work with Ryan Finley. Uh, again, that quarterback battle coming up is going to be very important. And I think Roper was actually a really good pull for them. Roper is a guy that spent a lot of time with David Cutcliffe in the SEC. 
Um, he was with Ole Miss. Uh, he was Eli Manning's quarterback coach, 99 to 2004. Um, he was Andre Woodson's quarterback coach at Kentucky. Um, and then he went back to UT to sort of be a running backs coach kind of recruiter. Um, when he rejoined Duke in 2008, he served as the offensive coordinator again, um, as well as the quarterbacks coach. Um, and, you know, he's, he's got a lot of experience doing that. And, and while he was with Duke, obviously they had Thad Lewis, who was amazing at Duke. Um, Anthony Boone as well was fantastic under him. So he's got quite a resume working with some pretty good uh, quarterbacks. So it'll be interesting to see what he can do with the young guys NC State has. Um, they added some some blood into the recruiting stable there. He's, he's thought of as a really, really good uh, quarterback developer and recruiter. So NC State continues to flex its muscles, at least in the recruiting realm, where I think they're getting – NC State's starting to now consistently recruit in a way that makes you think that what Dave Doran doing, is doing there is going to be sustainable for years to come. Um, so, yeah, I just something I'd like to throw out there. Uh, he's kind of a big-time name for people that have paid attention, paid attention to quarterback uh, position, quarterback coaching positions, I should say, but also offensive coordinators. So – uh, just a little, a uh, little news and note there. Awesome. So what we'll hit on next is our mailbag. So what is a mailbag, Tim? A mailbag is a satchel, uh, typically canvas, which could have a Velcro clip on latch and, and you will typically find mail inside the bag. Okay. So back to that conversation about earlier about it being 2018, the way that I think of a mailbag is you go online, you type in a question or a statement or whatever you'd like us to share or talk about on Chowder and Grits, and we will address it on air. So obviously, we're just getting started here. Uh, the more the merrier. So if you DM us on Facebook or slide into our DMs on Twitter or if you go to chowderandgrits.com, we've got some uh, contact forms there or you can just straight up email chowderandgrits at gmail.com, spell out and, none of that ampersand action, and you will be able to enter your questions. So do that. Tell us what's going on. Tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. We don't care. You know, we got a thick skin, so we'll figure it out. I'm so looking forward to that. That's going to open the door for a myriad of hot takes. And I cannot wait to fire those off. What are you, what are you thinking? What's, what's your best case scenario? I, I don't know. I, I mean, my best case scenario is, is I get questions from this mailbag, which you, I guess, have, have said is some kind of virtual thing that I didn't know about. Um, but uh, I'm ready to just take off these, these opinions that other have, others have and just shoot them down. Or lift them up with my tongue. Um, Patrick Henry style. So I'm looking forward to it. The mic is going to be on fire. Get your questions in. We're ready to take them. And we are super excited. Uh, get this mailbag, quote unquote, going. Outstanding. Yeah, I, I would second all of those, all of those thoughts. So let's jump into some of the early uh, early bowl game action we'll hit on. I'm not going to go too in-depth here, but just kind of uh, drop some news and notes. So first game I wanted to talk about, Tim, Georgia Southern against Eastern Michigan. And yes. what really kind of stood out to me was, one, Raycom Media still has a bowl. Yes. No and uh, two, Georgia Southern had 10 losses last year, and they had Finished with 10 wins this season. So that was a huge turnaround for them. 
Uh, you know, they're running that eagle option offense is what they like to yeah. call it, not the triple <laughs> option. Um, yeah. And so they finished this season without throwing one interception. That's think, how you get it done. Think about that. That's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. Uh, Chad Lunsford at the end of that game. Did you see that interview? Uh, yes, I did. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's one of those things where it's at the end of the year. It's emotional. But literally, it was one of those moments where you sit there and watch that and realize how much this stuff means to the guys that are out there fighting in those bowl games, the coaches that are coaching those young men. And, you know, it that is the epitome of why I love college football. Um, that was awesome. That was awesome. Big ups to uh, Georgia Southern in the Eagle option. It was actually a really fun game to watch. Pretty competitive. Um, yeah, I mean, game winning field goals, Tom expired. So, yeah. I mean, doesn't get better than that, man. That's the kind of drama you live for. There's no season better than bowl season. Well, I think, you know, when you hear about bowls and, oh, there's too many of them, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe there are. But for a team like Georgia Southern, pretty brand new to the FBS, uh, to go from 10 losses to 10 wins. You know, yeah, okay, they're playing on a bowl that's, you know, uh, the Saturday after the Heisman, it's December 15th. There's like 15 people in the stands. It didn't matter. I mean, it's a big deal to them. It's a big deal to that program. It's something that they can hang their hat on. They could sell to incoming recruits. And, I mean, that's that's what uh, that's what bowl season's about. It's a program builder, in my opinion. So No, it, it, if people sit here and try to tell you there are too many bowls, You look them straight in the face and you tell them, why are you a fun sucker? Why are you trying to take my joy? Show them a replay of the Georgia Southern coach at the end of that game and and try to tell me that those bowls don't matter. If you ever say that to me, I immediately assume you don't like football. Bingo. Why would you complain about having more football? I don't. I don't know. It, it, it almost makes my blood boil to think about that uh, scenario. Yeah. Guess what? In two months, I'm going to be sitting in my living room on a cold February weekend. It's going to be minus 25 degrees outside, and there's going to be nothing to do. Nothing. I can't nothing. watch football. There's nope. nothing else on. I'm going to uh, I'm going to watch the Minnesota Timberwolves take on the Milwaukee Bucks. No thanks. Yeah, you're sure not going to do that because who wants to watch the NBA? Uh, next game, Arizona State, Fresno State. Uh, Arizona State really missed uh, Nikhil Harry. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Manny Wilkins, I don't know how up to speed you are with him. I I follow Arizona State a little bit. I did get my master's from there, so I just kind of, like, watch from a distance. Well, I'm technically a Sun Devil. <laughs> yeah, I'm technically a <laughs> um, By the way, very good graduate degree program. Do not yeah. come at me. Anyway, <laughs> Manny Wilkins, um, this was his last game. He's uh, he's graduating. He finished the year 20 touchdowns, six picks. He's he's a guy who he just never took a lot of chances. No. Um, he's a very, very safe quarterback. Um, not, I mean, he's he makes good plays, but he doesn't make, like, great plays. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think he was a good quarterback to have for Herm Edwards in his first year as head coach there. But I think we saw that a little bit in this game. I'm not sure how much he can really go out and, and like, lead a team and 
and win without some serious weapons around him. I mean, he finished with 129 yards through the air. So they really missed that um, presence from Nikhil Harry. And then, you know, Ronnie Rivers running back for Fresno, he had over 200 yards, two touchdowns, and then the go-ahead score in the third quarter, and then the touchdown that put it away in the fourth. So uh, great season for Fresno. Okay season for Arizona State. But definitely room for improvement. Yeah, their room for improvement is really the key. And like you said, I don't know why Wilkins is one of those guys that I've kind of followed throughout his career. I have no idea how that happens with someone in Arizona State. Um, but, you know, he, he was always a, a guy who I always thought kind of, I don't want to say he underperformed or that I thought he could be capable of more than, than what he showed. But like you said, he always seemed to just be so conservative. Um, do you really see what a guy like that means to that team when he went down injured there towards the end of the game? Um, I don't know if they've updated his injury status. He did walk it off, so I hope that it's it's not a, too serious of an injury. Um, but yeah, sad to see his career come to an end. Although if you're an Arizona a State fan, I, I guess you're slightly hopeful that the Herm experiment didn't end in a complete disaster this year. Um, although I'm not sure you're really in a better place than you were at the end of last year. So yeah, yeah, I guess you just kind of maintain the course and Fresno's trending up and. Um, yeah, you know, props to Fresno too for for working that navy into their uh, uniform set. You know, navy being a school color they never used to wear back in the David Carr days. It's good to see them kind of breaking out that extra shade of uh, of navy for us. And you know, props to them. They're a strong team, and I, I guess I don't know how they're looking, but they may end up in the top twenty five to open the season next year. Yeah, they they are going to have a lot of holes to fill. They've got a lot of uh, guys graduating, but. Um... You know, they're a team that recruits pretty well um, for their conference. And, you know, we'll yeah. see. They're definitely going to finish in the top 25 uh, to close out this season. So good yeah, year for, for the Bulldogs. Uh, moving on to Tulane and the Raging Cajuns of Louisiana Lafayette, the Auto Nation Cure Bowl. I think this bowl had maybe 95 people at it. Maybe. And that's being generous. Yeah. It was uh, quite the turnout. Tulane, first postseason win in 16 years. And they outrushed the Raging Cajuns 337 to 84. Yeah. That's domination. uh, Complete domination. The one thing that was interesting in this game is uh, Louisiana Lafayette did fight back. They were down 24-3. They got within three points to... At one point in the fourth quarter, but uh, Tulane just had a little too much. So Tulane is always, uh, you know, that school on NCAA football that you try to take to, like, national prominence. (laughs) Right. But they never really go anywhere in the real world, unfortunately. Yeah, they don't. um, You know, the best thing I can say about Tulane, great bowl win to end the season um, since they have gone back to that retro wave logo on their helmets, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful call from a marketing standpoint. Continue to do that. Um, the Ragin' Cajuns fell short, but remember the Ragin' Cajuns, one, they're called the Ragin' Cajuns, and two, on their word mark, the apostrophe at the end of Ragin', if you zoom in on it, is actually a little chili pepper, which is really cool. It so, is. It is awesome. I love the name. It's a nice touch. Yeah, Ragin' Cajuns, man, one of the best... Uh, Best mascots you could you could ever hope for as uh, as far as college football goes, and also another favorite of mine on the NCAA football se- uh, series. Now that you mention it, 
yeah, so Utah State and North Texas. I was really hoping the Mean Green would pull this out. Yes. Uh, when I lived in uh, in Texas, they were at the bottom of the barrel, man. They were bad. But uh, Coach Seth Luttrell, he uh, decided to stay there for another year. He In his first year there, they were 1-11. Um, and they're 23 and 17 cents, three straight appearances in a bowl. Uh, haven't won one yet, but hey, they're getting to a bowl consistently. It's baby steps. Utah State's a very good football team, 11 and 2 this year. Um, they had some things to work through with their head coach leaving for Texas Tech, and he pretty much took the entire coaching staff. So for yes. them to come out and dominate was pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Um, real strong showing from them. Shame to see North Texas not get the win, um, you know, but the ACC, man, it's like, what's that game? You know, like six shades of Kevin Bacon or whatever. I don't know what the name of it is, but you know what I mean? It's somehow you're six connections away from knowing Kevin Bacon. Well, you know, we got our ACC, six shades of ACC, and there was Seth Luttrell, who used to be the uh, offensive coordinator there at uh, UNC. So um, hopefully he uh, he turns it around. I mean, obviously the football program is – playing much, much better now um, than they used to. But, you know, North Texas has got some history. They had some pretty good running backs come through there um, in the early 2000s. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go. Um, yeah, but really not much of a game there. I think it was, what, 52 to 14 at the end? Yeah, yeah, it was It was yeah. a pretty bad blowout loss. Yeah, brutal. So, you know, something uh, I enjoy researching and uh, watching and seeing is not just bowl football, Tim, but what these guys are getting as oh, yeah. gifts for going to <laughs> bowls. And, you know, it, it's one of those things that I'm not, you know, trying to go anywhere with this point. It's just interesting from an NCAA perspective. You know, these guys can't sign an autograph for a penny, <laughs> but, you know, PlayStation give them a PS4 with, you know, 18 games, and that's cool. Yeah. Hey, it's certainly makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just wanted to run through kind of uh, some of the some of the items that our ACC brethren are going to be receiving. So, you know, one thing that really shocked me, Tim, was the Jared Birmingham Bowl. I don't see any diamond rings. Yeah, what's what's up with that? That's exactly what I was thinking. At least give me like a couple, you know, like like maybe a. Just a diamond? It doesn't even have to be in, like, gold or anything. You think you'd get a little diamond in a Ziploc bag or something. You know, it's definitely one of the weaker gift suites uh, that I've no seen. No question. You get the Oakley backpack or sunglasses. So you don't get both. You get to choose. Then you get a cooling hoodie and then a football, which I assume says Jared Birmingham Bowl. So... So you might as well throw that in the trash. Um, an Oakley backpack? What is this, 2006? Nobody wants that anymore. Come on. Well, I think also it is one of those drawstring backpacks. So <laughs> basically they're going to take that to the gym like three times no. and the string's going to fall out of the hole. Football summer camp? Get out of here. We don't need that. I will tell you, the only thing I have had that genuinely piqued my interest was a cooling hoodie. Now... If I understand the functionality of a hoodie, you wear the hoodie when it is chilly outside. So what purpose does a cooling hoodie serve? Wouldn't I just rather not wear a hoodie if I wanted to be cool? 
Yeah, yeah, you got me there. I <laughs> I had a similar thought. I, I was just like, I don't understand. This goes back to like my watching baseball, which I love to do. You see guys in like the middle of July wearing like big jackets in the dugout. And I'm just like, I have never once thought while sitting in a baseball game in the middle of July, I really need to be wearing a big jacket right now. Yeah. <laughs> so so is there something yeah, like so magic going on inside of that jacket we don't know about? Like, I've just yeah. never understood it. So to me, baseball jackets in July, cooling hoodie, same thing. Yeah, I we don't we don't understand your purpose. Now, maybe for the mailbag, if you know what purpose a cooling hoodie serves, please contact us via all the things that Justin mentioned when he mentioned the mailbag. Rewind the tape. Yeah, and if you want to uh send each of us one, just let us know. We'll be glad to try yeah, them out. I mean, that's fine too. Hey, it's fine too. Uh so the Surf Pro First Responder Bowl, um that is Boston College Boise State. We have got a RFID blocking ridge wallet and a big game football. <laughs> oh man. That that hurts. I feel genuinely terrible for everyone. I Boston College in Boise. I'm so sorry. Like what is it? A big game football? Is it like a vortex? <laughs> so it's a, a big game football. A blocking ridge RFID wallet is literally a fancy money clip. Yeah, that's it. And let me tell you. Let me tell you the BS on that marketing. Literally every wallet now blocks RFID. I don't know who or what an RFID is, but those things don't get into wallets anymore. So RFID blocking not special. Every wallet has it. Look at Amazon. A big game. Football. <laughs> wow. I, that's, I, a, that's a I can't even. Okay. So even. Here, here's one of my favorites. Quick Lane Bowl. Everybody's getting $175 Best Buy gift card. They're getting some over-the-ear headphones. Okay, wireless. Like Boom. Here, here's what I love. Life-size fat head decal <laughs> for each participant of his likeness. <laughs> so... If I play on Georgia Tech and I'm never seeing the field, at least I have a life-sized fathead decal of myself to put Bingo. up on my wall for the rest of my life. They got you a mid-chop block, just blowing a defender's knee out forever <laughs> on your wall. And imagine how vain you have to be to put up a fathead of yourself where you live. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine walking into your buddy's house and he's got a fathead of himself on the wall? Is that you'd start to have questions? Is that fraud? I'd have questions. Okay, <laughs> you're sitting here. You've got like three fat heads on your office right now. Just you got a tear rolling down your cheek as you're stripping them off the wall right now. Okay, so let's go through some of these a little bit more quickly because they're really just not worth talking about. Uh, the walk-ons Independence Bowl. Uh, they get a timely watch, which great name. A Perfect. new era skull cap and a football. Okay, hell yeah. Uh, something that you and I, I feel like, would really love. Tim and I are big hat guys. Hat guys, yeah. We literally had a conversation for about an hour about different hats. <laughs> and um, hats that we don't wear that we can't get rid of. So to the New Era Pinstripe Bowl, they get a variety of New Era products, I assume most sure. of which are an assortment of hats. So that'd, yeah. be, I'd be okay with that. 
Yeah. Uh, Camping World Bowl, $400 Best Buy gift card. Heck yes. There you go. The, you had That's me sold a gift card. Absolutely. And they're also getting the backpack and a fossil watch. Right. And um, notice it's an, it's an Ogio backpack, not a, uh, an Oakley backpack. So a yeah. big upgrade there. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Belk Bowl. So here's a fun Belk Bowl story. When Virginia Tech was playing Arkansas, a bunch of Arkansas players decided to shoplift while that. they were on their shopping trip to the Belk store. Oh man, that's so, good. That's good stuff. You know, I don't know what is being taught at Arkansas, but <laughs> when you go to a store where people are buying things for you, there's no need to steal anything. <laughs> oh man, that's a good. That's a good tale, and it's you know the best tales are true, as they say. Uh, the Cotton Bowl would not actually disclose gifts, so I'd like to go ahead and flag that one. That seems a yeah, little bit sketchy. sketchy. Yeah, the, the alarm bells ringing there for anybody. Um, Orange Bowl. We've got the Torno watch, a personalized bobblehead of each student athlete. Boom. Heck yeah, done. Military Bowl Dell mobile projector with a large code behind it. Don't really care about that. A uh, <laughs> hundred dollar MX <laughs> gift card. And eye slides. Eye slides. I was seeing. I guess that's eye slide. Am I saying that right? Yeah. yeah I don't. I, I don't so. know what that is, but I was seeing that pop up a lot at a lot of different bowls. So yeah, it sounds somehow educational, and therefore it is garbage. Uh, I'm just gonna skip over some of these because I'm not impressed. Yeah. But the Fiesta Bowl PS4 gift package. Boom. Fossil watch with engraved case back. And an XFit backpack. Perfect. So, Perfect. Some, something to carry your PlayStation home in, I guess. Yeah, this is great. And there are some great gift packages here. There's also some really bad ones. Yeah, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be really. Pissed. I keep going up to that RFID blocking wallet and the big game football. And Justin, I can't handle it. Yeah. What's that package worth? Like thirty bucks. <laughs> uh, on a good day no and they're they, buying in bulk here they got the uh they got the footballs at probably two dollars per so that's probably like a seven dollar gift package tops <laughs> and nothing oh. against the uh, first responder bowl here but uh that rfid blocking ridge wallet that was not just in that bowl it was all over the place so oh gracious well hey it pays to play better teams in the postseason. Plays to pay better teams, and you know, if you need to go uh, Christmas shopping, you should probably figure out how to get on a bowl team and uh, play some college football. So, yeah. Do you know? Do you know what a dop kit is? Uh, no. Okay, mailbag. Mailbag. Yeah, like mailbag. A... Let us know. Okay. Oh, mailbag. Got Those it for our viewers. Help I us you, out. I thought you meant a mail bag, like a bag for a mail. I don't I don't believe I did mean that. But okay. um yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I'll work that into future podcasts. Maybe it is one. We don't know. We don't know what it is. You never know. Okay, so what we're going to do next, we had a little upload error on our last podcast. I'm not sure why that was the case, but uh yeah, we said we were talking about the college football playoff and we did not do so. So enjoy. All right, and so now we are to the college football playoff. 
Uh, December 29th, these two games are taking place a little bit earlier this year, not on the, not on New Year's Eve again, which I think everybody is pretty happy about. That was a pretty stupid day to put these games on, but, uh, <laughs> no question. We've got Alabama, Oklahoma, and this is the matchup everybody has wanted to see from a quarterback perspective. Kyler Murray, the Heisman Trophy winner against Tua Tagaviola. Um, at least we think, we think he's going to play. He's got the uh, banged up ankle. He had surgery on it. Um, he's been walking out to all the award shows, but um, I think he's. I think he'll be all right for this game. I uh, I pulled a few interesting numbers them that that I want to really run through. So, you know, there was a lot of talk around Tua and Murray from a Heisman standpoint. Alabama fans are saying, you know, if if Tua hadn't or had played in the fourth quarter, his numbers would have been so much better, and that. That's really not the case. I did a little deep dive. So if we look at number of snaps played throughout the year, Tua had 575, Murray had 785. Right. If you go a little bit deeper um, and get really into the numbers, the 12 FBS opponents that Tua faced averaged a 58, or average being the 58th ranked pass defense. Oklahoma's 13 FBS foes had a average of 87. And then before the SEC championship, Tua only attempted three passes in the fourth quarter the entire season. Okay. So he went one for five. He goes one for five in the SEC championship um, in the fourth quarter. And I found a breakdown of play by quarter. If you had, if Kyler Murray had only played the first three quarters like Tua had essentially, Tua finished with 36 touchdowns and Kyler finished with 33. So they were very even. Murray actually had more passing yards and he had a higher quarterback rating in the first and uh, second quarters. So Mm. I just wanted to dispel those myths out there a little bit. Yes, Tua was going against higher level uh, defensive uh, units on a regular basis, but uh, I don't want to dispel anything that Kyler Murray has done this year. I think the dude is a stud with capital S. He gets oh, it yeah. done on the ground. He gets it done through the air. And I think he's going to cause this Alabama defense some problems. Yeah, and that that's where I'm lining up too. Um, man, Kyler is fantastic. The OU offense is so dynamic and so good. Um, it gives you hope. You go in, you're going in your Oklahoma. You see what Jake Fromm did to them in the SEC championship game, going over 300 yards for three touchdowns. You need a game like that from Kyler. You've been getting games like that from Kyler all year. It's got to give you a glimmer of hope seeing a chink maybe in that Alabama secondary, um, in that vaunted Alabama defense saying, Hey, if any team's going to do this, if any team is set up to have success in a similar manner, it's us that don't have quite the same horses in the backfield. Um, but I think they got a quarterback who's more dynamic, obviously, than Jake from in a running aspect. So seeing what an athletic quarterback who can throw it just as good as Jake can, can do to a team like Alabama, who hasn't seen a quarterback, especially not a dual threat quarterback of that quality all year. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, the the issue with this game, obviously, is going to be, does OU have enough on defense to steal a couple possessions back from Alabama? Can they force a three and out or two? Can they force a turnover or two? 
to get the ball back into Kyler's hands. Cause the only way you're winning is with a couple extra possessions for Kyler. Cause if, if they're going to win, it's going to be a shootout. Um, slowing down Jerry Judy and rugs, no matter who's throwing to them is going to be hard. Jerry Judy is an absolute animal. And, and those guys really didn't have a whole bunch of time on the field this year. Um, as you mentioned, and, and that does hurt individual stats. Um, but I mean, you look at, you know, they have running backs and Najee Harris and, and Damian Harris who just, you know, they're averaging over six yards of carry explosive. The line is so good, but something about this game keeps pulling me back to Oklahoma. I don't know if it's the mystique of having the Heisman winner on the team or if it's the fact that their offense has just been so freaking explosive all year. Something is telling me that Alabama is going to get blindsided in this game. They're going to have a hard time handling Kyler Murray. And that was just enough of a quarterback shakeup to cause some issues with Alabama and whether or not that's going to be Tua coming out and being out of rhythm because of missed time or whether it's going to be feeling more pressure mentally, knowing that he's got Jalen breathing down his neck after Jalen's good performance in the SEC championship game. I don't know, but I am going with Oklahoma in this game. You, uh, you stole my thunder. Cause I am too. I, oh my uh, gosh. <laughs> I went Great. back and I, I looked at, uh, I looked at last year's game with Georgia and Oklahoma in the, uh, semifinal and to me it's a very similar game that these two teams are going to play except Kyler Murray brings a different a different level of play to the quarterback position than Baker Mayfield could and that's nothing against Mayfield but Murray is able to extend plays with his legs unlike any quarterback in college football today that can also burn you with his arm so yeah the the way that the way that Oklahoma wins this game is they pump the ball less than twice and they pound Alabama with the run. They've got two very capable running backs with uh, Kennedy Brooks and Trey Sermon. Um, yep. They've basically, there's almost three guys on their team with almost a thousand yards rushing and Murray is third in rushing with 892 yards. So that could easily happen in this game. Um you know, third down efficiency is going to be big and uh, turnovers are going to be big. Oklahoma cannot afford to make any mistakes. But to me, there's something uh, there's something odd going on at Alabama right now. Like, I really did not like the game that Tua played against Georgia. I know the nope. Georgia and Oklahoma defense is not comparable. I don't think uh, Jalen Hurts is going to shock anybody at this point. Um, you know, Oklahoma. They're just, they're not good on defense. I mean, there's just no getting around it. Tua, based off of his previous performances, should have a field day with him. Uh, but he's been banged up. So if he cannot stay healthy or stay on the field consistently, I don't like Jalen Hurts as much as I like Tua in a shootout. That being said, right. if Jalen Hurts has to play quarterback, he definitely can. But... The lowest average yards per play in a game that Oklahoma has had this year was 6.9. And the highest Alabama has allowed is 5.7. So even if Oklahoma is somewhere in between that, I mean, there's a good shot that they're still going to be in the game. Um, sure. I, I think that OU taking Georgia to two overtimes last year 
uh, in a game that Mayfield didn't play spectacular in, but you know, he's Baker and he, he's always given his team a shot to win. Um, I just, I think Murray's got to limit the mistakes in this game when they've struggled most is when he turns the ball over. Um, that being said, I like, uh, I like Oklahoma to win this game in a very, very close matchup. Probably one for the ages. I do think Alabama's going to be surprised. Everybody's picking Alabama to win this game. And I just, I think Oklahoma, uh, is, is being overlooked a little bit here. I mean, it's a team that only lost once. They avenged that loss in the Big 12 championship against Texas. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're in every single game they play in because of Kyler Murray. And to me, he's the best player in the country. He's the most dynamic. I'm going to go with Murray and the Sooners to, to win and go on to the national championship. Right. And, you know, I think you said it on last week's podcast. I think you compared Kyler Murray to Vince Young. Um, and it, rarely do you see this combination of athleticism in an arm that is as lethal as his is. It's just generational. And I think OU is going to win. It's going to be a tight game regardless of what happens. This is going to be must-watch TV. This game is going to be incredible. Um, it's got all the makings of a high-scoring, just two teams hitting each other as hard as they can hit each other, passions running high. Just as you said, something feels off with Alabama. And it's happened twice now in big games where they were able to bring in a backup quarterback who was able to win them the game because of the starter either struggling or being injured. And that's catching lightning in a bottle now twice. I'm not sure they can do it a third time, but we'll see. We'll see. Going to OU with you, obviously, and um, can't wait for this game. Uh, so the other game that day, and this is our final game of the bowl preview. Uh, hopefully you're still with us. It is Clemson, Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, Clemson is an 11 and a half point favorite. Um. I think Notre Dame is also being overlooked in this game a little bit, to be honest. I like Ian Book right now more than I like Trevor Lawrence. I think mm. I'm I'm not as high on Trevor Lawrence from his play this year as everybody else seems to be. He's he's played well for a freshman, but he's also had some games where you know, if Clemson is at Clemson, I I don't think he's doing enough to win. And I, I think the game against Pitt in the ACC championship was one of those games. He was 50% yeah. completion percentage. Yeah. Um, he's got a lot of talent around him, which I think kind of hides some of his younger inabilities. It's Again, it's no knock on Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a young quarterback. I think he's very good. But to me, Ian Book is a, is a leader. Um, that Notre Dame needs. He's very efficient. Uh, he can make some plays with his legs. Um, he has been mistake prone at times, but for the most part, he does a pretty good job of, of holding on to the football. Um, Notre Dame does rank 28th in total offense. They're 21st in total defense. Uh, Clemson is top 10 in both categories. So the game is fairly close on paper. Um, to me, Notre Dame season really turned around when they benched Wimbush and, uh, yes. They did not look good when Wimbush was playing. And then Book comes in, he completes 70% of his passes. And, uh, you know, their worst game of the year was his worst game of the year was against Pitt. He had two picks. 
they had big wins against Syracuse, although Dungey got hurt in the first quarter. Uh, at Northwestern, they beat Michigan. Uh, outside of that, their schedule wasn't too difficult. Um, they went undefeated. They deserve to be here. Uh, they've got a good running back in Dexter Williams, who was suspended the first four games of the year, but still almost has right. a thousand yards rushing. And, uh, Notre Dame could definitely beat Clemson. Um, sure. I don't yeah, think absolutely. they will. I don't think they will, but, um, there's a good shot. And I mean, they've got great players on each side of the ball. I think Julian Love. Um, is the X factor on their defense. He's, uh, he's kind of a Troy Palomalu type. He flies around the field. He's a ball hawk. Uh, so watch out for him and, um, Jerry Tillery on the defensive line as well. He's got seven sacks, but when you think defensive line, Clemson has the clear advantage in this game. Um, and to me, they have an advantage everywhere on the field except for at quarterback. And it's very close. Um, yeah, but that's why I'm going. Clinton. I agree. I agree. Um, you know, it, it's hard to see Notre Dame winning. They certainly can win. It's not one of those that I think is so lopsided that it's ludicrous to even consider them winning. Like I would a Stanford Pitt. Um, Book has been incredibly efficient, especially from a completion percentage standpoint. It's a very quarterback friendly offense there at Notre Dame. Um, you know, they give you a lot of help with the ground game. Uh, they do have playmakers, um, although they don't seem quite as dynamic in that offense that they run as some other ones. Um, they do have some playmakers out on the edge. Uh, you know, what I see here is, is as you said, I do think Book and Lawrence is a toss-up. I'm not sure I could pick one or the other at the moment. The wild card for me is Etienne is just so explosive. He's so good. Um, I think he's going to be the difference in this game. The issue you mentioned and you bring up I thought was a pretty good one, and that's that Trevor Lawrence hasn't had to pull Clemson across the finish line himself yet. And I don't know if he has that that in him at this point. Um, what happens if Etienne does get slowed down? What happens if there's an injury to him? What happens if the big plays aren't there and you need to consistently hit the short stuff um, to drag your team across the finish line? I don't know if he has it. And I could see that happening against a team as balanced as Notre Dame is. Um they're, they're similar in the regard. They're both such balanced teams. They're both strong on the line. Although Clemson, like you said, is just better than Notre Dame is in all those positions, except maybe quarterback. Um, again, I think Cleland Farrell, uh, Christian Wilkins and, um, was it Dexter Lawrence? Sorry. I'm trying to think of the guy's name, um, are going to be too much on the defensive line and they're far too athletic. And, um, I think they're going to cause Notre Dame's offensive line problems. But we'll see. Uh, Notre Dame does have a pretty good offensive line, and um, Book has been playing some some good football and some football that's kept Notre Dame in every game they've played. As you mentioned, when they benched Wimbush, they were just terrible, eking out wins against you know Ball State and Vanderbilt. Um, really didn't play too well against USC later in the season, and Pitt, as you mentioned. But Book has been a huge improvement for them. It's going to be a fun game to watch. It's always cool to see Notre Dame in these big spots. I know people might get frustrated with them, um, you know, think that they're overrated more times than not. And while that may be the case, uh, there is something cool about seeing Notre Dame in the spotlight against a program like, you know, recently as good as Clemson's been. So I'm excited. Clemson takes this one, I think, by a touchdown or two. Um, but we'll see. We'll see, man. That's that's why they play the games. That's why bowl season is awesome. And um you know, I think uh, I think we could get some really cool uh, fireworks out of this game too, um, and, and watching two balanced teams go at it is always fun. 
So, yeah, I'm looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, I think uh, I think this game will be tight. And uh, you know, one of the stats that I saw that I thought was interesting was uh, fourth quarter play by the quarterbacks. And so Lawrence in the fourth quarter this year, he's completing 54 percent of his passes, three touchdowns, two picks. Whereas Ian Book is completing 83% of his passes with seven touchdowns and two interceptions. So if this game is close in the fourth quarter and they're relying on that quarterback play to kind of pull them through, that could be, uh, that could be something to watch. Um, <clears throat> watch for Clemson. So. That's a great stat uh, line that you just brought up there. That, that kind of shows what I think you thought you've seen from Trevor Lawrence this year. Um, but Book over 80%, that is absolutely lights out. That's incredible. Yeah, so like I said, I think uh, this game is much closer than the spread indicates. Um, I've got Clemson thirty twenty four, but I would not be not be shocked if uh, if Notre Dame won. So that pretty much wraps up our bowl preview. So Tim, let's uh, let's quickly run through and recap who we've got, and uh, let's see where we stand. So in the Birmingham Bowl, you have got we've both got Memphis. Uh, we're different at the first responder bowl. I've got Boise and BC. Uh, we both got Georgia Tech. I've got Temple and Duke. Both got Wisconsin, Syracuse, South Carolina, Clemson, OU, uh, Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, Stanford, Georgia. So we're different on four games. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah. that is, uh, that's going to be the difference for us. So we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see who's buying the t-shirts. Yeah, but, uh, nice t-shirt. You know, we're going to have some, maybe some under armor. We gotta, we gotta keep the brand sharp, you know, in, in our, our, our debut t-shirt, it's got to have some substance to it and a little flair. So since you're going to be buying that, I just want to be sure that, that you kind of get what I'm thinking as far as that goes. Uh, listen, Tim, when, when you buy the shirts, um, make sure that the lettering stays better than the, uh, Ham Jimsky's lettering that we have in uh, college. I am so glad you mentioned that because that lettering was terrible. Terrible. It was, but I've, I've still got that shirt. So yeah, same. Uh, we, and you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully the next one lasts as long, at least from a uh, fabric standpoint. A couple of final thoughts here. We are recording this Monday night during the Carolina-New Orleans game, which seems to be a defensive struggle right now. But Justin Fields, Georgia quarterback, maybe you can help me understand this one, Tim, but he's looking at transferring, okay, which is one thing. Uh, Jake Fromm is probably going pro after next season. So that means Fields would be the guy in two years which is when he'll be able to play football for another program if he transfers. So he's apparently looking at Florida State, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Why would you leave if you're Justin Fields? I don't I don't know. Um, that's very confusing to me, unless he is just looking terrible at practice. That's um, not the case, I don't think. Yeah, and he, he was the number one recruit by ESPN, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, if not, he was a huge quarterback recruit for Georgia. Yeah, he was number um, one overall. Strange to me. Really strange. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does wherever he goes. I just can't understand why with uh, Fromm more than likely leaving, you know, why you're why you're looking forward to getting out of town and he's going to have to sit out for a year. So seems counterproductive. 
anything you want to hit on? None that I can think of at the moment, other than, um, you know, I don't know how many more podcasts we have until the Christmas season gets here. Um, I hope everyone stays safe out there with your traveling. And again, uh, Christmas is a great time for sharing. One of the things you should share is the Chowder and Grits podcast with two of your favorite hosts uh, serving up most of the uh, headlines from the ACC football week and prior weeks, depending on how many podcasts that we get out. Uh, and I think it's a great place uh, for you to bring people and steer people towards as we head toward a new year. New year, new me, new podcast. That's right. Follow us on Twitter, Chowder and Grits. Like us on Facebook, Chowder and Grits. See where I'm going with this? Go to chowderandgrits.com. Check us out. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. We're trying to get more content. If you or if you know of somebody that wants to contribute, hit up that mailbag. We'll see you soon. Stay safe out there.